Welcome to Illegal Double Team. We are Jonathan and Christina Snowden, and we love professional wrestling. And we're back, just like we promised. And we're actually doing we it. We are people of our word. We say, I mean, when we say we're going to do a podcast, we do a podcast. That's right. Eventually. <laughs> this time, right on time. Back to weekly for one week. Yes, that's right. We came through this once, I promise. But and we've had... Good wrestling. Yeah. It's it's, it's kind of hot right now. Isn't that funny how that works? Like when we're energized by the wrestling. We come back and do we podcasts. We do the podcast. It is. It's kind of amazing well, I mean, how it's that kind happens. Of the whole premise of the podcast is yes. us talking about the wrestling we That's love. That's exactly and right. And when you're not that enthusiastic about it, then like, you know, what's the point, right? Yeah, we've, we've been very clear. We're not going to be like all those other guys who pull out the microphones to complain about everything. No, you are only going to hear about what we are liking. And That's right true. now we are liking a lot. She saves all her complaining for off mic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll deal with that the rest of the 23 <laughs> hours of the day. You guys get the good hour. <laughs> all right, let's just jump right into it. Let's do it. Our top 5. All right. 5 4 3 2 1 Fire. Number 5. <laughs> Not in a ring. <laughs> But a fight nonetheless. That's right. A virtual ring. That's right. Tony Khan going crazy on Twitter. Yeah. So I'd already, yeah, I'd already pointed out to you that like, you know what, Jonathan, I think this guy goes a little crazy on Twitter every Wednesday and every Friday. Pretty, pretty crazy how that works out. It's kind of like clockwork. Yeah. So Tony Khan, like on, on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Thursday and over the weekend, crickets. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing controversial from Tony Khan. But boy, on Wednesday and Friday, <laughs> he's be wildin'. Uh, this one was was classic Tony Khan. A reminder: if you don't know who Tony Tony Khan is, he's a guy that came up on the same message boards that I did. <laughs> Guys like me, Phil Schneider and Lee Casebolt, like uh, David Bixenspan. Like the, if there's a, a person that you don't like on wrestling Twitter that's been around for a while, <laughs> like we probably knew Tony Khan back before he was Tony Khan. Okay, so what I'm saying is Tony Khan has seen some shit, and and he's gonna he's willing to mix it up. That's right. And so he ain't backing down. Some nobody wrote, <laughs> wrote wrote a tweet that said that Tony Khan is you know a bad booker. He needs to hire a booker, and Tony said. You need to hire this ratio in <laughs> <laughs> the internet. Oh, my God. As the kids say, exploded. Yes. I just, I spent like an hour just sitting on the bed, like reading you the various uh, quote tweets and replies because it was just too funny. It was like an even mix of people who were amused by it and people who were like, oh, Vince would never do that. Oh, it's so unprofessional. Oh, Tony Khan needs to hire a social media manager. AEW fans, this is so embarrassing for you. Like, no, it's funny as shit. Oh, no, I love this. Nobody needs to hire a social media manager to run their Twitter account and be like, I never understood this concept. And and you would get it like from media people too, about like Dana White, the UFC executive, for example, they'd be like, Oh, Dana White says crazy things in interviews. You know, he, they should have a spokesman, a professional to handle it. I'm like, guys, the only reason we even have a job is because Dana White and Conor McGregor are out here saying wild shit. If they had social media managers and media professionals, one, nobody would be writing about right. this stuff. 
That's so right. there's a method to their madness. Of course And two, is. no one would be clicking on it and we wouldn't have jobs. Like, uh, you know, Dana White calmed down a little bit. Uh, I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a coincidence, I don't think. That's right. So, um, yeah, TK. He needs to keep doing what he's doing. And he, and I'm just going to say, oh. I, I'm, without revealing any insider gossip, um, I think that you're right. Like, he knows what he's doing. He knows he's getting attention. And that on those days, yes, people are talking about how crazy Tony is, the crazy billionaire's kid. But they're also talking about AEW. That's right. On a day AEW's on TV. That's right. So that's what you call a win-win. And for us especially, those salty WWE fans <laughs> in the quote tweets and replies, like the the people like legit feelings hurt. Or even the or even the soft AEW fans wringing their hands about it. Oh, oh I don't know. Why do we have to talk about the other company? <laughs> Just shut the fuck up and enjoy it. None of it matters. It's not serious. <laughs> At all. That's right. It's all fake fighting. Even on Twitter, it's yes. fake fighting. Every bit of it. <laughs> all right, moving on to number four. Um, for you and me, I think especially, um, we were just really, really, I think, happy to see Dalton Castle on television. Um, this is a guy that, I, I mean, I just, I really like everything about him in Ring of Honor, but Unfortunately, uh, he's gotten himself pretty beat up, you know, right in what kind of should have been the prime of his career. And and I I think that maybe he's sort of reached the pinnacle of of where he's going to be able to go. Um, But it just it was just such a shame to think that more people, you know, wouldn't wouldn't really know him, wouldn't get to see him. Um, I mean, if you don't know, he is a magnificent peacock of a man. <laughs> yeah, so Dalton Castle, a former Ring of Honor champion, came out, if you didn't see, on AEW's Battle of the Belts 2, which was a Saturday show. He fought a current Ring of Honor champion, Jonathan Gresham, um, and they had a solid match. But, the, you know, Dalton Castle is a really good in-ring wrestler, but Dalton Castle is Dalton Castle. Yeah, he's and also a spectacle. The main thing about yes. him, he came out with his boys, and you know, yes, his chickens, his uh, whole entrance. So people who hadn't seen it got the real Dalton Castle yeah. effect, and I, 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 that really warmed my heart. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, this might be the only chance that we see him on on big TV. Yeah, I mean, it was a that match in particular was a dud in the ratings. It, it lost a huge percentage of the audience, which is you would kind of expect because it's two guys that AEW fans don't know. No. So um, that was unfortunate. But the people that did stick around saw, I think, a pretty good wrestling match. And I saw a lot of people who were like, "What is this Dalton Castle mm-hmm. guy's deal?" And like, "How am I just hearing about him?" Um, so it. it, it for the people that did see, I think it was uh, effective. Like no one left that match. I think um, not a little bit more, a little curious about who this guy is right, right. And, and what his story is. So um, hopefully that whether he comes back to AEW or not, hopefully this means uh, he'll be part of the, the ring of honor sure. reboot. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. Um, the, the ring of Connor K H A N. I don't know. <laughs> Tony Khan ring of honor, Connor ring of Connor. Doesn't no, work. No, no, not gonna work. No, no, no. All right. Moving on to number three. Um, Samoa Joe versus Suzuki. We were all excited uh, to see a Tony Khan throw this match out. 
Um, I saw a few little like, oh, but there's no story here. Like, like you need a story to see a match between Minoru Suzuki and Samoa Joe. Yeah, the story is that these We're two gonna guys get a match. about to fight. That's <laughs> that's all the story you need, and the, the, and they're fighting for a championship. Like that's the story. Yes, I I don't I I don't understand that argument. In fact, I almost never understand that's it. the central story of professional wrestling. If you didn't know, it's that people are pretending to fight. To see who's better at fighting. That's right. And the very best of them have a title belt that signifies uh, how good an athlete they are and, and how how much they win and how they've defeated another great wrestler. That's what a title belt and is. If you watch That's New, a story. If you watch New, New Japan Wrestling, if you know anything about Minoru Suzuki, he has made very clear. He goes after who he wants to fight. And when they ask him backstage, why are you going after Ishii right now? You know, why, why are you going after this guy? His answer is always the same. Because I want to fight him. That's it. That's all the story Suzuki ever needs. No, yeah. He actually answers that kind of question yes. from Japanese reporters with the scorn that you just did. Yes. Which is, what do you mean? What's this, the reason? <laughs> the reason is because I want to fight. That's right. That's what we're doing here. Um, so for longtime fans uh, of, of Samoa Joe... Um, they knew this was going to be something. Of course. Because, you know, probably the most famous singles wrestling match of Samoa Joe's career was a, a match with another Japanese legend, Kenta Kobashi, in which they brutalized each other with chops back and forth. Yes, a Ring of Honor match. Yes. And this also was a Ring of Honor match. Suzuki came in uh, with the Ring of Honor television title so, on the line. Um Joe's most famous match is with a chopper. Mm-hmm. Suzuki, pretty famously a, a chopper, <laughs> in a in this a similar vein as as Kobashi, and so um, I thought like the the worst case scenario for this match was like it was a low end version of Joe Kobashi, which is pretty good, mm-hmm. and that's what we got. Yeah, I think it was yeah, a, which a, I th- a fun wrestling match. Yes, I thought it. W- I thought it was very fun. As someone who absolutely loves to see men chop each other's chest raw for some reason that I don't want to explore in depth, um, <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I loved it, and um, I just to those people who continue to to complain about no story. I heard it again. Uh, this week with the CM Punk Dustin match, um, like just stop it. Like you, as soon as somebody, as soon as a wrestler gets released from another company, all I see online are lists. Who do you want them? Who would you like them to face? What are the dream matches? And then Tony Khan goes out and makes these matches, and we don't have time to have stories, long-ass stories behind all of these matches. Some of these people are not in the United States all the time. You know, some of, the, some of these people are not going to be signed to AEW, but, but maybe can work a few matches in AEW. You've got to get it done. Get it done when you can get it done. And if later on you want to build some long story for some rematch, okay. But I'm saying get your dream matches done while you can. You never know what's going to happen. Also, it's sports. There doesn't have to be a huge narrative behind every game. Like some games, uh, you know, it's a big matchup. You know, Kobe Bryant is facing Michael Jordan for the first time. And there's like a big story that, you know, journalists want to talk about. Sometimes Bulls are just playing the Lakers (laughs) and it's one of 82 games. Um, That's okay with wrestling, too. This is just a good game. And Suzuki and Joe delivered 
exactly what I hoped they would, what was promised, Mm -hmm. and that's awesome. All right, keep them coming is what I say. All right, moving on to number two. Um, This is uh, Cody Rhodes in WWE and everything that has entailed in the last two weeks. I still (laughs) think that it's really going picture perfect. It's marvelous. Yeah. And um, I don't want to, like, undersell it. Uh, If you don't know us and our household, you don't know what this means. But we have had WWE Monday Night Raw on three weeks in a row. Yeah. Which is crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> I hadn't watched, I had not watched a Raw for years. And this is for Cody, though. Only for Cody. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Um, and, and But Cody is, is killing. Like, the, the crowd is still super into him. Mm-hmm. And um, he's delivering on the microphone. He's just got a presence. You know, he, is, he has become the person that he wanted to be. And I, I thought the segment, the segment with the Miz was so great. Yes, everything about it. Yeah. Um, the the duel on the microphone with Miz pointing out every time Cody said words like wrestling and yes. belt. Um, some people thought like Cody forgot that he wasn't. Yeah, no, no, that was the story yes. they're telling. Um, and and it was really well done. And then they had a great match, and it made me realize like, um, Cody's Cody is perfect for WWE wrestling style. Like where it's just slowed down a little bit from AEW. There's mm-hmm. not the same exact pressure for high spots that there is in an AEW yes. ring. Yeah. Uh, he can concentrate on the things he does well. And it just happens to be like the kind of stuff that their kind of wrestling is geared for. And um, I, I think, you know, a lot of people thought it was crazy when Cody was like in interviews said, I, I think I'm the best wrestler in the world. You watch this. And within the context of WWE, um, I think there's a chance that Cody is the best wrestler in the world. I mean, he's going to... He's the best WWE wrestler in the world. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's definitely trying to, to, to make that case as he as he moves through the, the WWE roster. So that was two weeks ago. Yes. But then, you know, he delivered again uh, just this Monday mm-hmm. with uh, Kevin Owens. That's right. Yeah, um, and then on the perimeter of... of of both of these matches is uh, Seth, Seth Rollins, and, and an eventual rematch with Seth Rollins at the at the next WWE pay per view backlash, and um, of course Seth is a complete nut. And uh, I don't know, know what exact <laughs> what character Seth is doing. I, I don't know. It's it like, is great. It's heavily influenced by the Riddler. It seems <laughs> as <laughs> it far as I can to... tell from his suits. So and he's his coming out with these gaudy and... suits, and he just seems to be giggling. Like, like a crazy person just a maniac yeah and uh he's still seth rollins like i I don't know i like he's not always been one of my favorites but in this iteration like Mm -hmm. watching this i'm like yeah i'm I'm in i'm into this he's legitimately amusing me and they found a clever way by using seth as kind of like the manipulator so we don't get the wwe uh cody and seth wrestle wrestle four times yes. in between the pay-per-view right. before they do a rematch mm-hmm. on the pay-per-view. So Seth is around and the story continues, but Cody is actually in the ring with other people. Yes. And boy, it's just working, man. I don't yeah. know something about so, it. I was going to point something out that I thought was kind of interesting. Like, so AEW for the most part has a very sort of like fly by the seat of your pants, say whatever, you know, it's, especially where you where promos are concerned like it it's not smooth but one thing that it is for most of the performers not all but most 
is authentic. Like there's, you know, it feel they everybody feels like themselves for the most part. And I always thought that Cody yeah, to the point stood where out. Like when it, it doesn't feel that way, like it really stands out. It really out. stands out. Like tonight yeah. on Dynamite, like Britt Baker did like an out of breath promo yeah. where she was trying to like deliver insult zingers. Yeah. And like it A felt, lot of one liners. That, that was the most WWE sounding yeah. uh, promo I've heard from AEW. Like it sounded like it was written for her, um, just poorly done. And so like you're saying, like when, when it doesn't feel real, mm-hmm. Uh, it really stands out on yeah, AEW. and so I always, I always sort of thought that compared to a lot of the other top players in AEW, that Cody was one of the less authentic guys. Like everything was a little bit more scripted. There was a different pace that was a little unnatural. Um, you know, and we we discussed frequently that that he was more of a WWE superstar than he was like the the more typical AEW wrestler. But then he goes over to WWE. And he interacts with The Miz and he interacts with Seth and, you know, he gets on the mic and he sounds like one of the most authentic guys that WWE has. And honestly, it feels like that's resonating with the WWE audience that that he he has a more everything from him is feels a little more natural than most of the promos that are delivered by the WWE superstars, which are incredibly not natural. And you pointed out to me the other day that the reason why the what chant um, sort of took off and continues to be such a thing, especially in WWE audiences, is because every single WWE superstar delivers every promo at the same cadence. Yes. So you can throw those what's in there all all the time. That's why they with a work, regularity. Because they, they don't speak like a human being right. speaks, where it's like, you know, when you're talking to me, I don't 100% know where you're going to pause and where you're going to stop and like what you're going to do. And, you know, you change the speed at which you talk. Now, WWE has a da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. Boom, pause. Yes. And like they're obviously trained for the pause. Uh-huh. So is the audience. <laughs> and they're ready. They're ready yes. with that what. Um, so Cody does sound like a human being like, and, and, and in WWE that really stands out. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, I think this is going to work. And I said, you know, I, I'm in the beginning, I was trying to talk myself into it. Like the idea is like, yeah, he's really going to do this thing. Now, as the weeks go by, it, it feels like they're not, they're not fucking this up. Well, one of the things that WWE has done that I appreciate immensely is that um, they have been telling us exactly when we can see Cody. Like they'll tell you he's gonna he's gonna be the first thing on Raw, or he's gonna be in the main event, or he's gonna be on at night at the nine o'clock hour. <laughs> and I have to say, I really appreciate it because I stumbled. I I turned on Raw a little bit early the other day. Uh, waiting for the the main event to come on, and saw some sort of atrocious double wedding skit. Yeah, like that her, just reminded me why I never watch Raw. They switched partners a couple times, and then the girls were together and like teasing like a 1990s style. But it was somehow all about actually winning the 24 seven belt or something. I don't know. It was awful, and I really regretted turning on television. <laughs> So, I I don't always please mind. keep telling me exactly yes. when Cody's going to be so on. that you can know when when to pay attention. But um, I never mind like awful wrestling skits. The problem is when you combined uh, a Triple H long segment 
with an awful segment. And this was a long, awful segment. This and, was a and long, that's bad. awful If you're going to be, if you think it might be awful, let's just make it a <laughs> three minutes, not 15 minutes. That's my only request. <laughs> All right. And number one, this one's a match. Best match of the last week and a half, as far as I'm concerned, by far. John Moxley versus Will Ospreay at New Japan. Yes, it was New Japan Pro Wrestling's, what was it called? Windy City Riot? Windy City Riot. It's a Fight TV pay-per-view. And this was the first time in a long time New Japan felt like it had some kind of energy behind it. Like, people watch this Mm -hmm. and discuss it on my timeline. Yeah. A normal New Japan show, that doesn't happen. Like, part of that is because it's in the U.S., but they've toured the U.S. to, like, crickets. Right. A big, a big a big part of it's Moxley, too. Moxley, yeah. They've got some of that AEW energy. But, you know, as you were pointing out, I wasn't necessarily super excited for this match. You weren't at all. You are, you are not a Will Ospreay fan. Like, that's just a statement of fact. Oh. I, I, think it, I think I have to adjust further. Like, I'm willing, I'm open. Like, I see this match between Moxley and Osprey. It's, like, one of my favorites of the entire year. And at some point, I just have to adjust who Osprey is. Mm-hmm. To me, he's still the guy doing the coordinated flips with Ricochet where they hit the pose at the end together. Right, right. And it's, like, the cheesiest he, he stuff. He has adjusted who he is yes. a lot. Now he's, like, a guy that's, like, irresponsibly clobbering the other fellow in the face. Yeah. Um, that's my kind of guy. I mean, I have to be honest. When they got into the ring and stood, you know, chest to chest, I was shocked to realize that he was basically the same size as John Moxley. Now, that you're talking about Will Ospreay, that former junior champion. Like I, I was really actually surprised. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's put on a, a lot of muscle, and he's taller than I thought he was, and so yeah, he doesn't even really look the same. Yeah, I mean, so part, we've talked about this before. Part of the, that is that there's really no such thing as a junior anymore. Mm-hmm. Like almost everyone's a junior. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at New Japan's like most recent list of like top stars, they're almost all junior sized guys except right. for Okada, right? I mean, Finn Balor is a junior and Ibushi is a junior and Kenny was a junior. Mm-hmm. Naito is a junior sized guy. That's right. Um, you know, Osprey now. Like mm-hmm. everybody, Shingo, Shingo was a, just a junior. Uh-huh. So yeah, I mean it's a junior's world. Yeah, same same in AEW for the mm-hmm. most part. Now it was interesting to see he had gotten to be about the size of Moxley. Of course, Moxley has slimmed down quite a bit. True, but I I've seen Moxley in the airport. Yeah, he's um, a decent which is sized like guy. The the old school tests for like for wrestlers. One is like, do you recognize the guy? Mm-hmm. Does he get recognized in the airport? That's right. Then he's a star. But also you can gauge how big is this guy? Yeah, you know I love that. The Art Donovan question. <laughs> how big is this I guy? Love that. Christina. And Moxley's a little bit taller than me. Mm-hmm. So he's six two, six three maybe. So he's a decent sized fella. Osprey's not that small either. Yeah. Last um, time I saw him across the ring from from Okada, like he didn't look like Okada's little brother anymore. Like he, you know, he uh, he's got some size and he's adjusted his wrestling to match yes, that. Yes, that's what I like. That you know, he's he is now um, kind of a hard hitting uh, physical heavyweight wrestler. Um, I don't know if you're gonna like it or hate it. He he reminds me more and more of Kenny. When, when Kenny was a good New Japan wrestler. 
as far not as far as like I, I hate that <laughs> not as far as like personality or mannerisms right, right. but like uh the way that kenny does intricate high spots will osprey still does too mm-hmm. but kenny would beat the shit out of you too right uh now osprey has that element yeah. to his personality and when you're wrestling john moxley um that goes a long way yeah because he's gonna take it and he's gonna give it yes um this was a, su- a very physical match uh very physical um, it had one of the most tremendous blade jobs from, from Moxley I've ever seen from anyone where he um, essentially like he got hit with a chair and like either bladed right before or in his fall to the ground because I mean there was no time at all between impact of the chair and seeing his face just pouring blood. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And like, honestly, you could have told me that it was that he just bled the hard way, except I did actually see him shove the blade back in his little <laughs> wristband. So, I mean, I know it was a blade job, so but that's, it was so that's well like done. Seventies and eighties style stuff where like the guys bladed all the time and some of them are really good at it. I remember seeing, seeing folks like the turnbuckle would be exposed and someone would be like flying into it. They're about to hit mm. their head. They're going to bleed. And as they're flying into yeah, it, just they're amazing. R- running that blade across their head and then they <laughs> hit it and they come up bleeding. Like it's a, like it's a weird talent, like, but I love it. <laughs> they didn't have to do this crap where you stick your head under the ring or whatever. Like I fell down under the ring and my head's like <laughs> under the apron and I'm sitting there trying to blade for the 15 minutes, get a little blood. Like, that that wasn't how the no. boys did it in the seventies. Um, they they just cut. Well, that's not how Moxley does it no. either. Because we were actually cracking up that at some point in I mean it, you know he was real he was really really uh, bleeding, but at some point he stopped. Right, he stopped bleeding. But he was very he he was not satisfied with that, so he bladed again <laughs> before <laughs> the end of this match to keep the blood flowing. Hilarious, uh, but also awesome. So um, my favorite part of the match was uh, not that stuff, if you could believe it or not. So there's like a storytelling element in that Will Ospreay has gone back and forth with uh, Seth Rollins quite a bit on the Internet. Seth Rollins was the former former partner of Moxley. Mm -hmm. So at some point, Moxley does Rollins finisher, Mm -hmm. the curb stomp. And a good one, too. And Ospreay does not get pinned by it. No, Um, but. No, but it bounces up quickly. The phys- quickly from the, it. It's the the physical skill of Will Ospreay, the way he took this. Like it was like the first time I saw uh, Rob Van Dam take a pile driver or or DDT, and he did this thing where he bounced up off the mat, mm-hmm. like it it just kind of like sprung down and popped back up. Yeah, um, I'd never seen anybody do that. <laughs> um, this Osprey selling this curb stomp was like a version of that. Like he somehow abushied it, where he like. He somehow took this curb stomp instead of flat, like he took it on his head and neck Mm. and sprang up. And it was just, I don't know, it was just physical dexterity that just reminds you that um, some of these guys are more than human. (laughs) Well, I I give this match has the highest recommendation. It had a wonky finish, uh, which didn't, I mean, to me, I'm not going to let that take anything away from the match itself. Um, that, you know, might be setting us up for, for some sort of rematch in the future. I almost sort of imagined, because it was hard for me to imagine going into this match, like, I didn't know whether to be excited for it or not, because I didn't, I couldn't, to me, I couldn't picture how these guys would mesh, right? right. Like, I wasn't sure it was going to be good. Like, I almost sort of, like, felt like 
three quarters of the way through the match, um, you know, they were already thinking like, we're going to have to do this again. Cause this is really good. Like, yeah, it, just, it was so good. Even I'm like, if they do it again, like I'm going to be genuinely yeah. excited. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I hope they do. And at this point, Mox has already, um, put out a challenge to Tanahashi and they've, they've set that match up for the, the next big new Japan show. But, um, Moxley out here making a case as wrestler of the year. I think I'm, I, it's early, really obviously, hard, but yeah. like he's killing it everywhere he goes. That's right. And, um, yeah, so if they, if they run this one back, I'm definitely going to make sure I check it out. All right. Do we have questions? We have so many questions. All right. Uh, a couple of MMA questions to, to lead off for people who don't know. There may be people to listen, listen to this who don't know that, uh, most of my notoriety such as it is. Um, is from being a longtime MMA reporter for Bleacher Report and a bunch of places and wrote books like Total MMA and the MMA Encyclopedia, which is why sometimes people ask me MMA questions for this wrestling podcast. All right. I'm happy to answer. Okay. Because I think, you know, wrestling and MMA are closely tied together. I agree. All right. So the history of MMA asks, what fighters does Colby Covington remind you of, or is he unique in MMA history? And you could probably even take this one. Oh, um hmm, a little bit of chael in the way that he uh, uses the press and I think votes himself. I think yeah, it clearly is derived from Chael Sonnen's act. Except, you know, I always found Chael a little charming and I see no charm. Yeah, in that's Kobe the Covington. difference. There's a twinkle in Chael's eyes and he's legitimately smart when you talk to him um interpersonally, so you know you um you can tell it's kind of an act with him where it's just kind of a charmless act with Covington. Mm-hmm. The reason I say that Chael is not just because of um, stylistically on the microphone, I think in the cage as well, there's a lot of similarities in the way that they use pace and wrestling and um, just the not nonstop. They're both are nonstop. And so the, they're similar in their, in their actual fighting styles as well. Mm, okay. Um, Covington probably a little bit more successful uh, than Chael, honestly, at this point. Although Chael did have a run where he was beat all the contenders except Anderson Silva, who, gotta say, I mean, he did beat four out of the five rounds. <laughs> and in, in most sports, like, that's a win. That's a win. Um, Jesse Bronick Adams asks, uh, what are your favorite moments from MMA's past that you feel fans today don't know about? Do you think that they know that this that uh, UFC kind of like started with a giant burp? Do people <laughs> oh, know that Bill Superfoot Wallace starting it with a burp? I I I think that most fans of MMA don't know anything about the past. <laughs> okay, in that I, I think it's been rather remarkable um, as a someone who covered it. So I I see I've seen cycles of this. Um, MMA switches out its fan base a lot. Huh. So like, you know, people will come on as hardcore fans and they'll be hardcore fans for a few years. They'll kind of disappear. They'll be replaced by new fans. But it's definitely a sport that's like without history of any kind. Gotcha. They they don't they don't take any make any real effort to preserve it or talk about it. You know, in other sports, you might um, 
discuss like, you know, classic athletes or like that reminds you of Johnny Unitas. If you're talking about football or whatever, like people from 50 or 60 years ago uh, might be referenced Mm -hmm. uh, in football or basketball or baseball. And, you know, you have your, you should have, you know, you're expected to have some familiarity with like Willie Mays or, or Dr. J or Wilt Chamberlain, right? You Mm -hmm. know, people understand those references. Right. That doesn't really exist in MMA. Huh, okay. So um, I think all of it. I think all of it was, was a mystery. Um, <laughs> he also asks if uh, you could pick any current fighter to give you full access to their life so you could write a book about them. Who would it be? All right. That's for you. It wasn't for you? No, I'm not <laughs> so, writing anybody's life story. I guess do they mean, does he mean like someone who's actively fighting right now? Uh, well said current, so I would think, yeah. So, I don't, John Jones would be the one. I think he's got a really interesting story. Um, and. I can't imagine he remembers most of it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, now if you talk about people that are, you know, who have retired, uh, I would love to do a book about Chael Sonnen, like the actual story, not like the fictional story that he, he tells. Mm-hmm. Um, Chael Sonnen, failed realtor. Yes. <laughs> failed politician. <laughs> failed drug test taker. <laughs> failed MMA fighter. Um, there's a lot. Um, I like Chael. But, you know, his story is, is probably would be, it's a story of failure in a lot of ways, right? Um Mark Coleman was one that was real close to happening that I'd still be interested in doing. There's there's a lot of older fighters. Current fighters, I don't know. It's kind of early, right? To, yeah. To, to tell. That's true. Who's going to be interesting. Uh, Josh Pyromaniac asks, what's your favorite band or artist? Ooh. So I have to, I kind of have to admit to not being much of a music person. When you were a kid, like growing up, who was your favorite as a teenager? As a teenager, um, like I kind of like wholeheartedly love Madonna. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say when 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 we first met in high school, you listened to you had lots of music you listened to. You had your little mixtapes and stuff that you would make, um, Foreigner and Thirty Eight Special and Madonna and Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation that oh, um, yeah. we had to buy multiple times because the tape true. the tape popped. Um, so yeah. Uh, for me, Taylor Swift. Yeah, I would say in the like, in the last five years. I was going to say yeah, and I guess like in the modern era, it's I Taylor Swift is about the only artist that I like. If I I might listen to the radio, but if I'm going to choose to listen to a specific artist, it's probably going to be Taylor Swift. In the modern era of like downloading and stuff uh, and streaming, um, you have like different relationships, I think, with artists. But Taylor Swift is the one artists who whose albums i listen to the entire album mm-hmm. i want to appreciate it as a complete body of work um and she's really the only person i can think of that that who's like i would download an album and listen to the whole thing multiple yeah. times so taylor swift um uh, is that supposed to be embarrassing i'm not sure i think she's kind of transcended that to the point where i think she it's pretty widely recognized what what a fantastic artist she is and songwriter. So, um, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I've never cared about being embarrassed by any of my entertainment choices. So now anyone who knew me in high school would be like shocked that it's not some sort of gangster rap or something. (laughs) Um, 
but as I've gotten older, like I think my my tastes have mellowed. And then I've always kind of had that relationship with singer songwriters. Like yeah. my mom listening to Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and Hank Williams and you know my dad with the Beatles and Billy Joel and yeah, and I, I mean I'm I remember from uh, like in school with you like Natalie Merchant. Oh, and, and growing up in the Southeast as like an artsy-ish kid, like R.E.M. and, you know, um, so I don't know. We I like a lot of stuff, but Taylor Swift right now for sure. Uh, Edgar E. asks, best Southern-themed exclusive chain places to visit? Being from the far West, I only have familiarity with Waffle House and Cracker Barrel, which are the best. I mean, I love Waffle House and Cracker Barrel. Um Let's see. Well, so, I mean, I don't know that... I don't know that some of our local chains are Southern-themed. They just happen to be yeah. Southern. And, uh, and Jim and Nick's. Barbecue. Uh, yeah, Jim and Nick's Barbecue. But that's really local to Alabama and maybe a couple of Georgia locations, I think. Mm. Um, so it, it's weird because with chains, I think, and just generally, like, the, the culture is like... Uh, has has tightened to the point where regional variations are kind of non-existent in in the corporate world for the most part. Yeah. I mean, it's always tough too because whenever people give me their recommendations for like chain restaurants that you can only get in certain areas of the country, like I haven't liked any of them. <laughs> I mean, I like so, some of them Whataburger. Um Well, I mean, we have Whataburger. Yeah, but we're one of the places that has Whataburger. No, but I'm saying all the ones here I like. All the ones in your area I don't like. <laughs> no, so there's one exception to that. And this is, I don't think this is the, the south, but um, and I don't know if they have this in the far west, but um, a regional chain that I found, that we found and I really like is called Raising Canes. Yeah, yeah. It's so starting to move this direction. It's a chicken finger place. Yeah. That place is awesome. Now, the southern version of that is not quite as good, I don't think, but it might be worth trying if they if they don't have it where you come from, and it's called Zaxby's. They don't have Zaxby's everywhere. I don't think so. I think what? it might be a southern. I had no chain. idea. I mean, I know it's based out of Athens, Georgia, but I didn't know that it hadn't expanded across the country. And this might be ignorant, and I think it's it is expanding to the larger cities everywhere. But I don't know how ubiquitous Five Guys is. Wait, what? Well, so when we first discovered Five Guys, it was because we lived in Washington D.C. Yeah, in Northern, Virginia, Northern Virginia, right? Yeah. So, like, we were, we happened to be on the scene at the one place True. that had Five Guys. True. But Five Guys has kind of expanded. But for God's sakes, you can get Five Guys in London. You can get Five Guys in Germany now. Yeah, it's true. So, so I, I don't know. Surely you can get Five Guys in the fifty states. Well, certainly, if you if you come from a place that doesn't have Five Guys, you should try Five Guys. But definitely Waffle House, dude. And Cracker Barrel. And Cracker Barrel. Yeah. I won't hear any Cracker Barrel slander. That's that's nonsense. Like, Cracker Barrel's delicious. If you can't find something that you like to eat at Cracker Barrel, then, like, you just don't like food. All right. There's a lot of digressions in this, but I have to, I wanted to disagree on another one when you said, like, um, other places besides the South have lousy regional chains. Um, What about Del Taco? We had Del Taco. But we don't now. We, it's primarily a a West Coast thing, right? I have no idea, but we had we had Del Taco. They just didn't happen to make it here, 
And you can still get Del Taco in Alabama, just not where we are. Del Taco is good as shit. Del Taco is good, but that's not other people's chain. That's a national chain. Anyway, you should go to Waffle House. (laughs) All right. So this question uh, comes from the DMs, so I will not say who it's from in case they want to be anonymous. Um, How, in spite of having every conceivable advantage from birth, has the now 36-year-old Harry Smith why is he wrestling in front of 74 shut-ins in a soundstage somewhere uh, in between an Austin Idol promo and a Tyrus match recap? Holy crap, he's 36. And so that's uh, Davy Boy Smith yeah, Jr. Yeah, so I mean, that's, so he's done. Like, he's probably not going to, like, suddenly make it. I right. had no idea he was that old. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Like, uh, you have to, reading between the lines. I've I've met him a couple of times. Um I don't have any like personal animus towards him, but reading between the lines, considering his family legacy and the fact that he's a big, attractive looking, muscular guy, like there's something that we Some don't know. Problems, yes. Yeah. Maybe he's difficult to deal with. Um, unpleasant. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I had no idea he was that old. I thought he was younger. Than but that. there has to be something um, because there. There's a, a lot of like the like it's being mentioned here. Like you know, he, he has a lot of positives mm-hmm. just on the surface. Yeah. Um, so you have you have to think there's something that we don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I don't want to slander or speculate, but I, I I think that yeah, there's something beneath the surface, um, and that could be true of lots of wrestlers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, when you think it, when some you hear a lot about, oh, this guy didn't make it. He should have made it. I wonder why not. Um, why doesn't he get an opportunity anywhere he goes? Um, normally, the answer is that guy's an asshole. That's the answer that you don't hear. People don't like working with him. People don't gotcha. like him. That in- impacts this stuff, right? right These right. are human beings. So um, this is probably a question for me, although it could be a question for you. Okay. Um, do you miss being around the athletes and the action? Does it feel like it was ripped away or is it something you feel peace about? Um, boy, it's been like almost over a year since I've been a professional writer, like regularly for mm-hmm. a website. That's right. Um, I don't know. I don't think I do. <laughs> you don't mind. I mean, I miss having the money <laughs> from doing it. I think we've mentioned that before, but like, as far as like the regular grind of it, like producing a weekly or multiple stories a week, like I've, I've written every kind of story there is to write about wrestling or boxing or MMA. Um, and and I'm not a person that like wants to hang out with the athletes just for the fun of it. Like I only ever have hung out or talked to the athletes for the purposes of doing work. Right. Like I, I don't need friends right. <laughs> and I'm not, a, and they don't need friends either. That's yeah. not what the purpose is. Like right. a lot of people confuse that. Yes. Um, so no, I, I don't think I do. I think the, the kind of stuff I'm doing book related projects are, I, I actually enjoy. And so that's not to say if you're listening to this and we're like, I wanted to hire Snowden to do something. <laughs> I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. Right. Right. You know, this is work. And, you know, I'm, I'm open for work, but like as a human being, I, I don't miss it. No. Okay. Do you miss me doing it? Like having me out of me out of the house? Some? 
Uh, you know, no, no, not really. I mean, I'm good either way, but, um, no, it's, it's really up to you. Like I, you know, if I, if I thought that you did miss it, then I would encourage you to pursue more opportunities. But, um, as somebody who lives with you every day, you certainly don't seem like you miss it or like you're anxious to get back out there. I'm at the point in in my life now, like as a fan of this stuff where like I can watch it and not think about like when, when you're, when you work in wrestling or MMA or boxing, like when you're watching this stuff, like it, it's, oh, it's fun to work in that field, but also you're watching it and you're never like just fully enjoying it because right. you're thinking, okay, how, how can I turn this into a story? What's right. the angle here? How can I, oh, I, I've got to, I've got to immediately write something, yeah. you know, within, you know, the next for, for Bleacher Report, it was within an hour after the event was completed. Right. I had to have a thousand word story. Like, it's crazy to think about doing that now. Mm-hmm. But so you're not really engaging it as a fan. Yeah. Uh, at this point now, I watch like we just watched Dynamite. I spent zero seconds thinking n- never once like what what could I write about? Yeah. You know, what's the story here? Yeah. And before I would have always thought. Of oh yeah. I definitely remember you finishing up some, some fights or some, some shows and you're just like, well, what can I say about that? Cause sometimes there are shows where there's just nothing to be said. Like it just doesn't feel like there's anything worth saying about it, but still you have to come up with your thousand words. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> like when it's, uh, when it, they want you to do opinion based stuff, that's when, um, you sometimes end up writing something stupid, right? Because yeah. you, you have to write something. Yeah. There's not an option. Cause well, that's you, why because you you, they pay you money. Yeah, you see this out, you know, this constant outrage machine that that Twitter is or whatever. And I think I like I just look at this stuff and I'm like, look, she had to write something. He had to write something. Like content was required. So I mean, yeah, it's maybe not the most well-reasoned argument or like they have clearly just picked on, picked up something that they think people, you know, might click on or whatever. Like, but that's what the job is. Right. Like you're, you're just making content. People are like, Oh, you know, so-and-so had a bad take and you're supposed to be angry about that or like hold it against them for a long time. It's yeah, like, I'm just imagining, like, no, when you're in the business of yeah. having takes, like a bunch of them are going to be bad, yeah, especially I'm... when they're happening immediately. <laughs> right. Like, cause you don't have time to reflect on yes. it or like, you know, you'll have some take and then like the facts will come out and your take was based on bullshit. And yeah. It's totally wrong. Like, like occasionally like people will even today like will come on twitter and be like this you and like be like in 2013 i had you a, had a bad take. i had a dumb take about something that ended up being wrong it's like yeah that's i if you're looking for bad takes buddy i've got a <laughs> i've got my share of them um and i mean that's what happens when someone's paying you to have takes on a regular yeah. basis <laughs> so luckily with bleacher report for a long time i shifted to where i was doing like profiles which are kind of like mini books almost like you know you're you're telling long form stories about mm-hmm. athletes and stuff and that was always fun but you know nobody likes to read so i i you know the whole goal was transitioning from a job where you have takes and you're doing like immediate coverage of the events that's like the lowest level i think of for the most part of journalism and then you graduate and you're doing profiles and features and your real stories, like the kind of shit that might've been in sports illustrated in 1987 when there was still a sports illustrated. And that's awesome. 
then you find, you know, the site gets bought and money crunchers are looking at it and they're like, nobody reads this shit. <laughs> and so then I'm back in the takes business. We're going to need some takes right. and some lists. So oh, let's go. Right. I take some lists again. Only that, you know, now I'm being paid five times more than their other <laughs> takes and lists guys. So, um, I, you know, I'm, That's a circle I'm, of life. I'm pretty sure that I'm getting fired, right? <laughs> Nothing against me and everyone who did what I did got fired because yeah. they ain't paying you five times more than other list guys to make a list, no matter um, how many books you wrote 10 years ago. <laughs> anyway, no, I don't miss any of that shit. Gotcha. Uh, Michael Cunningham asks, uh, I posted a picture, some picture prompts to go with this topic okay. when I was asking for questions. And one of them is me. Um, at Disney. And he asks, is that the Buzz Lightyear Toy Story ride at Disney with the highest score? Oh, you were a galactic hero. I maxed out. Okay. Uh, yeah, I got the highest score you can get at this uh, ride at Disney, mm -hmm. where you ride around if you haven't played it and you shoot a gun at targets uh, and you save the universe from the evil Emperor Zerg. Mm -hmm. I'm um, the best in the world. So he wants to know <laughs> um, whether it was real. Yes. Did, did I really get that high score? Because he doesn't think it's possible. Uh, yeah. Um, yep. But we are really good at this. Yeah. Yep. I max out pretty much every single time. So if you don't know, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, we have two kids with autism who love Disney. We go to the Disney parks a lot. A lot. Way more than a normal human being. <laughs> So, <laughs> Way more than anyone should. So we have been on this ride a lot. And I know all the tricks. So I know we both know like where. All the high value targets. Yes. So like there's certain like weird targets like randomly placed within this ride where you can get like a million points or whatever. A hundred thousand yeah. points for hitting it. Yep. And so um, we know where all that stuff is. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we're good. <laughs> I mean, come at me and see what happens. <laughs> on that Buzz Lightyear ride, I'm pretty dangerous. All right. All right. So handsome Andrew asks, with all the retro wrestling figures coming out, what toy line needs a re-release? And um, boy, that's crazy. So you've seen like you've seen the AEW ones that are in the style of the old uh, LJN um, WWF figures, mm -hmm. the kind of big plastic mold figures. Yes, yeah. I'd like to see a return to like those Jax figures, the like really terrible looking ones that where like. If you like grab the guy's arm and kind of uh, bent it, it would crackle a little bit and make like a popping noise. Mm, Only then know. eventually it would like would crack at the <laughs> elbow joint, but their knees and their elbows would make this popping sound. Okay. Um, presumably somehow that helped with the play. All right. Um, I always like this. Um, they, when you go and look at them, we have a lot of them upstairs. I mean, they do not look at all. Yeah. Like any of the wrestlers are supposed to depict. Right. Well, you, we used to play a game where you would pick them up out of the bin, right? You have giant bins of them and you would, and I would try to guess who they were. And like, sometimes it's like, I have to like look at tattoos where they try to do the tattoos on them and stuff to like figure it out because like the face and the hair and the musculature are not given it i'm not getting it right because <laughs> it doesn't point, look anything like at them. some point i should go up to the attic and take a bunch of pictures of of the wrestling toys i wonder if people get a kick out of that like just like the kind of like the just the sheer number that are up there <laughs> and like the history of them and like how what they used to look like and then they what they look like in the middle and what they look like now um they're pretty good now yes i've got to yeah, say yeah yeah 
honestly, I, I wouldn't buy any re-release figures when now I that see, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Like, I'd like to see some older characters brought into yeah, the you new love sets. Them. When yes. WWE goes back and does the, the old I'd guys. like to see AEW do it. Um, like, why couldn't, see if they have rights to Taz, why couldn't they just make Taz look a little bit younger and do a figure? Why can't they make a younger version of Tully Blanchard Ooh, or Arn Anderson? I don't know. Why can't they? Or Sting. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, oh, interesting. Those are the guys that have not been well represented in the WWE collection. As all well, I want the ECW do, and WCW. I, all I want them to do is to make a face sculpt of Kenny that actually looks like Kenny, and I'll be happy. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. That, I don't understand. Why is it so hard? <laughs> <laughs> so Matt Sacro, who used to work at Bleacher Report, crazy okay. world, um, back in the, the old list listicles days, right. back in the nobody got paid days, um, is interested in, you know, he, he likes the the content of, of, of the sub stack at Hybrid Shoot, which is our newsletter. Uh, and it was interested in, in me talking about tape trading back in the day because it sounds fascinating. He says it's reminiscent of the old school Magic the Gathering days where um, like there were regional strategies because the best deck wasn't data mined within 10 seconds and put on the internet. So it's like if you showed up in Atlanta, maybe they play a certain way in Atlanta. Oh, you based know, on card availability. Right, or, or just like what the strategies have been with successful players there. But meanwhile, there's someone from Oregon that plays a different way. And they don't you know, everyone is not the same. It's kind of oh, like we're right. talking about these fast yeah. food restaurants. Yeah, well, so like when we used to play... Col- like regional, cultural right. differentiation. Well, so we played Pokemon when it first started, when the card, the Pokemon game first started. Like you, we were working in bookstores and we put together like kids um, tournaments and they loved being able to play against adults. So you and I figured out like, okay, well, how do you, what is this and how do you play? But it was like... You didn't, people, there was real skill in putting together decks, you know, that, that would perform well against anyone. And it wasn't like every single person had the same perfect deck. Right. Because it wasn't possible. You couldn't do that. There weren't all these weird resources that are available now that if you have the money, you you can get exactly what you need. The pleasure in it was figuring it out too, right? Like figuring out what was going to work. And you did that by playing with other people. And um, so he said that he was basically telling me that today, you, like even before the, the cards officially come out, like there's nerds on YouTube or somewhere that have like broken down exactly what the cards are and how they're going to work and what the best pairings are and stuff. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, that sucks. But um, And probably undoubtedly people just like buy huge amounts of cards so they can put them on ebay and then and you can no matter where you live if you've got the money you can build the perfect deck or whatever yeah i mean there's a lot of innocence lost like the the same way with these looking at these wrestling and baseball cards where the packs are 10 or 15 dollars and you get a couple of cards and like i mean i don't know everything that used to be for kids is for adults <laughs> you know from baseball and magic cards to the cartoons and stuff like we don't allow kids to be the kids anymore but you know the fucking to... comic book movies are for the right. adults too. but to the the oh, tape trading sure. thing like um that you know 
Yeah, I mean, that so they're they're wild. Yeah, but so I guess what he's talking about is like back in the territory days when people were trading heavy in the 1980s. Like you know, um, you couldn't. Someone in Memphis didn't see the wrestling that was happening mm-hmm. in Texas. Uh, so like you know, you would tape all your Memphis, and someone would tape all their world class in Dallas, and yep. you guys would exchange. Um, it it was a wild a wild scene and and even into the 90s that happened to some extent like i remember i used to tape ecw and send it to a guy in germany mm-hmm. who didn't have access right. to it and you know the japanese fans would of course had access to lots of stuff we all wanted yeah. but not to our stuff so right. you know there was a a, a a a lot of cultural exchange going on so i know so i remember going to the japanese grocery stores to rent um to rent tapes, Japanese television wrestling that people in Japan were taping and sending to their relatives who were then renting them at the Japanese grocery store. Now, did you copy those tapes? Oh, yeah. You copied those tapes to send them to other people. Yes. So, yeah. So, the, you know, when in, in the tape trading days, it was important if you like, uh, we didn't have any money at the time, right? So I couldn't just buy tapes. A lot of people would just purchase the tapes. That was very rare for me. So you would have to make an exchange, and you have to have something that someone wanted. Mm-hmm. So like the the best thing you could possibly do in that world was have a good, high quality version of something that other people wanted. Gotcha. So then you know you would always have something that other folks wanted and then you could you could leverage that into a lot of different things and so that's kind of how i i worked my stuff well i know like i know all through um law school it was just a constant like you were just constantly being mailed things and mailing things out yes on and on and on on for for one of my uh you know, what really helped me a lot was I had a lot of MMA stuff and wrestling tape traders were interested in MMA. And I had some very high quality copies of like Pancras and, and K1 uh, that I had gotten from the Japanese video store um, in, in Atlanta. Okay. And so like I used those to trade for a lot of stuff. I had like probably the best copy of uh, the IVC International Valley uh, Tudo uh, from Brazil that uh, I, I still you know, that I'd ever seen. I somehow came across those and I would use those to trade for all kinds of stuff. (laughs) And, uh, you know, a lot of this was done through the mail, but like some of it was done in person. Oh yeah. Like one time I had a, a two guys from the, when we were in law school in Athens, Georgia, two guys from the Athens judo club came into Barnes and Noble where I work (laughs) to trade some tapes, uh, with me. And, uh, one of them was Forrest Griffin, <laughs> who eventually became the ultimate fighting champion. That's so weird. So, um, yeah. So it's, That's still so bizarre. I probably should write about that at some point because <laughs> it's just a different world. Like, you know, yeah. I, do, I talk about it a lot because I don't think like it's hard for people who didn't grow up in it to understand like we didn't live in a world where you had access to anything you wanted. Right. It just... That's not like, a, I'm not saying like we walked uphill both ways in the snow to school or whatever. It's just a fact. We yeah. did, you did not have access to everything you wanted. Mm-hmm. You had access to what you had around you yep. in your community. That's it. Yeah. To get any more, you had to work. <laughs> For hobbies and stuff like this. Yeah. yeah. You had to work hard. And I'm sure there's like people with similar stories about 
records and tapes and mm-hmm. stuff like where like you couldn't get everything you wanted. You couldn't. There was no Internet. Yes. People. Amazon did not exist as a thing. Like you had access to what you had at your local shop. Yeah. And it's just amazing now, like every major Japanese promotion like has a streaming service now where I can see these shows live. I mean, I think about like the, the, the people who like are in the mentions uh, saying like, I've never seen Dalton Castle before. Like, oh, I think this guy's really cool. Well, like within a two days, they could have watched pretty much everything Dalton Castle's ever done <laughs> is available to them. Yeah. Whether it's on the Ring of Honor's Honor Club or YouTube or like uh, it's there. Mm-hmm. Anything you want. Yeah. You're like, who's this Suzuki guy? You can find it. Yeah. Everything almost is available to you now, and it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I, I sometimes I even wonder, like, oh Lord, would Jonathan have ever even graduated if this was the world that we had back when you were in college and law school? You know, I think, <laughs> I, I, I think it would have hit differently. Yeah, like part of the fun of uh, the of getting obsessed with something back then was that it was like a a small community of weirdos Mm -hmm. and you had to work really hard. Yeah. There was that, that aspect to it of like to find the stuff, the chase is part of it. Yes. The search. That's right. Um, would I have been that interested in finding like every, like when I made these compilations of fighter videos where I I searched like every Fedor fight or every Frank Shamrock fight. And you're looking for this rare one that like at some tiny event in California and like tracking down that tape. Um, and then tracking down a better quality version of that tape and stuff like, would that have been interesting to me if it was all just on YouTube? Yeah. Like, no, I don't. I mean, I, you still love the chase now. Yeah. I mean, you're on eBay looking for magazines and old programs and old photos. And- yes. This, but so, yeah. And, and I'm searching for that feeling, I guess, like, cause I'm looking for stuff that isn't read. The few things that aren't readily yes. available. That's what I'm interested yeah. in. Maybe there's something broken about me. Um, <laughs> But like, yeah, so like right now I'm looking for like 1970s Florida championship wrestling (laughs) stuff that had Dusty Rhodes in it. Now, part of that's for work. Right. But also like, so that's interesting. Yeah. Because I can't just go and hit a button and and get that. That's right. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know if we answered that question, but (laughs) I had fun talking about it. Um, So old John asks, are the Viking Raiders this century's bushwhackers? Uh, They even come to the ring using the arm pumping motion that the bushwhackers uh, used to use um what would make someone like this era's bushwhackers i guess so the idea was it's like kind of a broadly comical act designed for kids huh and um i'll be honest like we're probably not the right people to ask that to because we haven't seen him in a while i only watch wwe's Mm pay-per-views and uh like most tag teams they have not really shown up in it yeah. So I, I don't, I, I'm not really that familiar with it. I do think like to be, they don't seem they're like they're as popular as the Bushwhackers, which were, who were really over with kids. But then again, like almost no wrestling acts seem as popular as they did back in that right. 80s era. So, um, and I'm not really sure that the Viking Raiders are intended for kids. In fact, it doesn't feel to me like very much of wrestling at all is intended for kids yeah, anymore. It's sort of strange, right? Yeah, they, there's very few acts I think that like really seem like that they're meant to appeal to kids. I think almost especially in the WWE, despite the fact that they, you know, aim to be more 
family friendly. So when when you when you say, I say this, having not seen it, right? But when you say they remind you of the Bushwhackers, uh, I'm thinking, okay, that's not an act for kids. That's a nostalgia act that you're trying to make old people my age say, hey, look, it's those those guys look like the Bushwhackers. That's mm. not even that's not for kids. Right, right. That's for old guys to be like, hey, look, I recognize that. <laughs> so um, I'm going to guess they're not the Bushwhackers. Okay. Because I just don't think that wrestling is geared to do anything of that nature. They don't seem to service children in that way at all. Um, and, and I think that the, if they do, it's kind of the high flying, exciting kind of stuff Yeah, is what I would like. I'll bet they think Ricochet is for the children and they think Ray Phoenix is for kids. Okay. That kind of stuff. All right. So Richie 11 PM asked a question that has, is now moot in some ways, but not in others. Okay. So he asked, did you see the rumors of Tony's big announcement? Um, the rumors are that it's for the an AEW New Japan show in June. Um, if true, who from New Japan Pro Wrestling would you like to see on the show? Well, as of tonight, of course, we know, thanks to the announcement of Adam Cole and Jay White, um, I think maybe Tony Khan was out there too, um, <laughs> that there is... He was so rudely interrupted. There is an AEW yes. New Japan Super Show. Not a rumor anymore. We've it got is the in Chicago. Yeah. It is called The Forbidden Door. And... Um, we have talked a lot since uh, the announcement between us mm-hmm. about who we'd like to see, and I, my mind's changed a thousand times. Um, yeah, I see. I see no real. I mean, I see a lot of ideas online. I see no real consensus. Um, the truth is, is that there's just a million possibilities, and and most of them are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I don't have a good feel at all for what they're going to do. No, um, I don't really care because whatever it is, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, so I think, um, well, they're in the larger arena in a good wrestling city or a city that's proved a good wrestling city recently, um, and they're billing it as a pay-per-view, so they're going to want a big crowd. So in that, in that, looking at that, I would guess that they're going to try to make it a, a, like a big show with big marquee matches. Now, what those matches are, what they look like, and how they use the biggest stars, um, I agree with you. One of the things you said is it's sort of based on whether or not this is like um, a one-off and they don't really know what the future of this relationship is or whether or not they plan on um, you know, a, a bigger, more steady sort of relationship between New Japan and AEW because then you kind of have to decide, like, are we just doing, like, non-consequential dream matches for a one-off show or are we looking to possibly like build something that where we could service like a a show every six months or something like that or or lead in to to AEW programming or the G1 in New Japan or or you know whatever so I think that kind of we we can't know that, but that's something that would probably inform how they go about putting the matches together. So, yeah, I, I don't really have a good feel for it. I think it'll be interesting to see who CM Punk ends up with, whether uh, 
I know that Tanahashi has expressed expressed interest in wrestling CM Punk. Um, Kenta has a longstanding uh, real or not beef with CM Punk over Okada as well. Okada would like to wrestle CM Punk, so I'm not sure who will. I think that uh, knowing what you know about Tony Khan and his uh, desire to like give fans matches they've talked about and mm-hmm. buzzed about for years, right? I think that it would be a good time to see Brian Danielson against Zack Sabre Jr. in a battle of the technical masters. Okay. Um, those are, that's the one match I, I, I would put my finger on. Yeah. So people have been throwing, I mean, even before the announcement was made official, um, they've been throwing matches out and like I had, you know, I had some in my mind that like, I, like I, think CM Punk and Tanahashi would be great um you know I think Okada versus almost anybody is probably (laughs) gonna be good um people started throwing out some things I hadn't really thought of before that have now like wormed into my brain and that's if you were gonna say have Hangman Page um they I saw someone throw out Will Ospreay and after that match against Moxley like um, all of a sudden, that seems really appealing to me. Um, someone else throughout was throwing out Jay White against Hangman Page. I actually think that is a really cool match because Jay White has that counter wrestling style, and Hangman Page has that like a hundred percent forward all the time style. So that would be a really interesting clash, and they could do a lot of really interesting things. I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, besides the obvious ones that people have already been talking about, like uh, suddenly I'm seeing. Uh, new possibilities being thrown out there that have a lot of interest for me. Um, current New Japan Tag Team Champions uh, representing United Empire, Jeff Cobb and Okan, have been jawing back and forth with FTR, which I think is kind of interesting because I have really enjoyed the United Empire Tag Team, um, and I think FTR is great. And I know that they'd like to have a few more belts, and I, I think I could actually – imagine that I could actually imagine that scenario happening. Like I, I think that new Japan might actually consider putting their tag team belt on FTR and that would be kind of neat too. All right. I mean, but there's just, I mean, there's so many possibilities. So it's like, I know that whatever they come up with, there's people are going to find a way to complain about it. But I also know that whatever they come up with it, whatever they come up with it, like, a big chunk of it will probably be really good. So not worried. I'm excited. Um, I did want to put out there that it felt a little strange to me that Kenny was not a part of this announcement. I think you would have expected as sort of the person I think everyone sees as the bridge between these two companies to be a part of it. Um, My personal take from that is that they don't want to get people's hopes up that he will make the show so because they don't know whether he will or they know that he absolutely won't so my take was I'm not really going to expect to see Kenny as a active part of this show in in late June um which really then sort of makes me hope that there's going to be another one Ah. (laughs) all right so Luke asks how likely are we to see uh Stipe Miosic versus John Jones uh, in the UFC. 
Is that's a thing? That's a thing that they're kind of talking about now. That's okay. kind of the the buzz. Honestly, um, I thought Stipe was done. It seems like it, but I guess not. Okay. Um, I, I don't. To me, that's not interesting. No. Like, I, I'd like if if John's going to fight heavyweight, I'd like to see him just fight the champion. Mm-hmm. Um. So the fact that I that it makes sense for the long reigning light heavyweight champion, the legendary John Jones to immediately fight the heavyweight champion probably does mean that UFC will make him earn it in some kind of fight. Yeah. Um, Wasting too much energy on what John Jones is going to do next is, yeah. I mean, it's just not worth it. Cause I mean, <sighs> he hasn't fought in a long time. Uh, Stipe is really old. Uh, John could be in, prison by the time this podcast comes out like uh, i don't know Um, it's just yeah it's uh, it's not worth the effort yeah absolutely uh so the ninja uh, domalorian uh asks about another of the pictures that i posted as a question prompt which is me and you wearing these weird kind of like mardi gras themed oh yeah they're mardi gras masks yeah um i think that we got them for like school like the kids to have at school for some reason no i just ended up with them in like a giant grab bag from the craft store and then and then kind of refound them upstairs so he wants to know if we wear those masks while doing the (laughs) podcast or perhaps other things Um, (laughs) no no. we wore those masks just long enough for you to take that picture (laughs) that was it Uh, we do have like a fancier like kind of uh when we we went to Venice, I think you have like a fancier mask, yeah, of, of yeah. in that style right. that we also don't wear on the podcast. No, we also don't wear them. <laughs> um, Smoke and Stovepipe asks, uh, "Choose your fighter," and then it's pictures of two wrestling movies: uh, Ready to Rumble, the David Arquette film, and No Holds Barred, starring uh, Hulk Hogan and uh, Zeus. Never seen either of these movies. I have to. Be, <laughs> can I be honest? Uh-huh. People are going to probably be surprised by this. I've never seen Ready to Rumble. Crazy. It just something about it didn't interest me. I I've never seen either of them. I'm I was aware of No Holds Barred, but I've never actually watched it. Um. So I'm going to pick No Holds Barred by default. Yeah, dude. That's Thunderlips. <laughs> It is. In, in the, you have to go with Thunderlips. Thunderlips in the flesh, <laughs> uh, baby. It also has Stan Hansen uh, grotesquely chewing tobacco in it. Um, no holds barred by yeah. far, I'm sure. I haven't seen Ready to Rumble, but I just doubt it's better than No Holds yeah, Barred. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Plus, we got Zeus then coming into WWF for some matches. Um, and boy, he was like comically bad. <laughs> But he's really big. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm all for no holds, bar- no holds barred. Okay. So, and the final question. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to admit that even, that even that question is not enough to make me go watch those movies. No, I, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, should we watch them? And then like do a thing. Isn't that so meta to like, people are like faking being fake fighters. I mean, it's just like, it's too many levels removed from actual combat for me. One too many levels. Yeah, I'm just... I don't know, like that kind of, like, I've never been that kind of wrestling fan that like wants to consume every media product about wrestling, you know, especially if something looks terrible, I'm just going <laughs> to take it at its word. Okay. Um, final question. Craig's over easy. And we've had variations of this question before. Mm-hmm. Uh, best and worst wrestling mask. He posits that Super Calo is number one, of course. 
I don't know whether he means best, best or worst. Or worst. Um, <laughs> well, so because we've had this exact question before and we've talked about like our favorite uh, masks or whatever, I actually thought of something. I was thinking of it kind of differently. And I was uh, thinking about just just the people currently uh, wrestling in masks. And I only was really thinking about the worst. And I have to say that one that truly, truly bothers me is Dookie. <laughs> um, his style of mask. Dookie? Yeah, he can't. He's constantly messing with it and he can't keep it up. And I'm just like, I, I don't, I just don't, I just don't get it. Like, I just don't understand, like. It, is it Dookie or is it Doke? Uh I have no idea. It just kind of sounds like they say Dookie, but it's the joke was that he wrestled like Dookie, <laughs> and his mask is Dookie. I just, I just can't stand it though because it's just, it's like when the female wrestlers have like the bodices that they just have to constantly like, you know, pull up so the boobs don't fall out or pull out of their ass crack or like get the straps right, and it's so distracting to just be constantly messing with your ring gear. And that's how he is with his mask, and I can't stand it. Also, I have to say, from Top Flight, uh, Darius used to wrestle in a mask, and um, I think it was supposed to look like a fox, but really it looked like Arthur the Aardvark from the kids' television show. Yes, and I remember you posted that one time, and he like. I think he liked he, the he post. Liked, he found it on Twitter. Um, but I've told this story before, but like they they totally worked me at MLW, um, where I was looking for interviews and stuff when we were doing the MLW podcast. And because he wore a mask, um, they they told me he was he a, a luchador and he didn't speak English. Oh, <laughs> and then it turns out he's. But it always confused me because I was like, he this does not. It, this doesn't look like an. It, this doesn't look like an, the animal that he's supposed to be. Like he, it looked like Arthur the Aardvark. All right. So my favorite, long, long time favorite, has been Jushin Thunder Liger. I own an autographed Jushin Thunder Liger mask. I also like the traditional tiger mask. Um, so I've recently have found a candidate for both Beth's best and worst. Okay. Um, Same mask. Yes. Um, Everyone knows the American Dream. Dusty Rhodes allegedly was the Midnight Rider, where he would like Dusty would get banned from the territory, and he would come back <laughs> wearing a mask and a cowboy hat as the Midnight Rider. On these, you know, Dusty Rhodes is very distinctive. <laughs> yes. Um, so, but apparently he had another character like that called Evalde Iv- Slim. Uh, so he had two mask characters that he would bring out. Oh my god! And so Evalde Iv- Slim wore what is clearly a Mil Mascaris mask, only it doesn't have the M on it. <laughs> but you look at it, it is definitely a Mil Mascaris's mask. Okay. And like, it's even less, covers even less of his face than <laughs> Midnight Rider. So it's like, obviously uh, Dusty. And so based on my understanding of this, the 1970s, so once Dusty became a good guy, um, Sometimes he would still need to do some nefarious things, okay. but he wouldn't want to do them as Dusty Rhodes. Um, so he would break out this character <laughs> to do his like, dirty business. I'm not 100% sure on that, okay. but I definitely have seen him in the ring and in pictures with this Mil Mascaris mask on um, with his Dusty Rhodes face under it and his big blonde curls <laughs> yes. popping out of it and stuff. 
um, best and worst mask. All right. Well, you were definitely going to have to get, you're going to have to nail down with this, what this story is about this and these multiple personalities. Yeah. So this has been a huge challenge for, for me, like working, um, on writing about wrestling from the 1970s because, uh, Wrestling in starting in the 1980s, like Matt Sakura was talking about, there's tape trading, mm-hmm. so a lot of stuff exists. Right. So if you want to know what happened in wrestling, I'm not talking about a wrestling observer behind the scenes stuff. I'm just talking about textually. Yes. What happened? What in, happened in the wrestling shows right. on the TV? Um, and the it, it all exists for the 80s all over the world. People collected it, kept it. Um, it's more sacred than their children to some of them, <laughs> these wrestling tapes. Right. Um, but when you start creeping back yeah. to the 1970s, mm-hmm. um, I guess because the, probably the VCR wasn't widely used. That's right. I can remember when I, my grandfather was the first person I ever remember getting the VCR and it was like, what, what is that? So individual people didn't, didn't have tapes mm-hmm. of wrestling or anything else. Uh, and, um, tape was expensive uh, film was even more expensive so long story short a lot of times like a, a television station would just tape over that shit yeah. the way like your mom would tape over days of her life mm-hmm. of our lives when she was taping over, it. And over and over and over yeah sure. so um those tapes don't exist in a lot of places mm. so um finding just finding out what happened mm-hmm. in the wrestling angles um has been a challenge. A lot of it's just like you're relying on like, what did a a wrestler say about it? Mm -hmm. Which that's dubious. Yeah. Uh, Or you're relying on like, what did a 60 year old guy writing about his memories uh, on a message board say about the wrestling he watched Mm -hmm. when he was a kid? That's right. Um, So it's all, there's a, there's a a chance of major errors being made. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And luckily there are some people that have collected a lot of, you know, we don't have a comprehensive collection, but we have a collection of a lot of Florida stuff and we have a lot of the programs and stuff that they used to sell at the events. And, um, so I'm going to see. All right. Like I said, it's that thrill of the chase. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, this is the, Unfortunately, like the there's... modern version of your chase is like actually way more archaic than like the old version of the chase. Yeah. Like you're really getting into the weeds now. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, like you know that these are things that there are very small numbers of, and there are people that are there before me. There are people that have a lot more disposable income than I do. Yeah. I think um, I don't even necessarily want to own these objects. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I'll meet one of the a, a collector and he'll let me come to his garage for, for a day and look at the stuff <laughs> and take pictures of it. Um, I, I don't know, but it's, it's fun. All right. Well, um, coming up, we're heading into uh, best of the super juniors over in new Japan. And I would say any day now we should probably find out who's going to be there. I'm excited about that. It's, it's not my, uh, favorite tournament over there but i am excited to see how much additional talent that they're able able to bring in for it not you know both from the united states but also from uh you know they've done some cooperative stuff with some other uh japanese promotions because uh you know they they need some new blood 
they're yeah. they're really really in need of, of some new faces and stuff. So. You know, I think people would be shocked. I don't want to do like an old guy like back in my day story, but like um, Best of the Super Junior will be wildly you know widely kind of ignored by hardcore wrestling fans mm-hmm. today. Um, back in the in the 90s when I was first a, a super fan, sure. like this was it. This yeah. was the event. Like you see you had Jushin Thunder Liger mm-hmm. and El Samurai and Otani and they, they would bring in foreigners and it would be like Chris Benoit as Wild Pegasus and it would be Eddie Guerrero as mm-hmm. Black Tiger and like, oh, here's a guy from Europe we've never heard of. His name is Fit Finley. Yeah. You know what I mean? Negro sure. Casas is coming from, from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, Dean Malenko. Like just all these like incredible talents. And so like there was a lot of energy right. around best of the super yeah. juniors and super J cup and all those kinds of tournaments. Well, I mean, there's an, a lot of talent out there in this world. And I mean, they could start, I think that, I think that it would be possible to, to start putting together some of these events again. It's just like, they're going to have to do it. Like, uh, you know, I mean, we're now like, I think there's just still too much COVID. Yeah, but I did hear that they were working on, um, you know, more more visas and trying to get more people over there. And, and also, uh, as part of these anniversary events, they've been doing, like I said, more stuff with other Japanese promotions. And, and honestly, it's just a matter of, like, new faces, new matchups uh, that, that would bring and breathe a lot of life in, into a tournament like this. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see what it ends up when they finally put out the brackets, which I, which I think will be any day now. Uh, I'm excited to see like what they, what they come up with. I mean, rumors are hot and heavy that Kushida will be back in the mix after, you know, having uh, left WWE when his contract expired. And, um, you know, I'm, I kind of want to see what this looks like so that I can see what my expectations for the G1 are going to look like, because Obviously, last year was pretty disappointing. New Japan Cup was pretty disappointing. Um, but rumors are this G1 might look a little bit more exciting. They might actually be able to bring in um, a, a couple new faces here and there so we can get some some interesting matchups. But um, Backlash coming up at the beginning of May. Um, and we're about to... I think really start diving into these Owen Hart um, tournament matches in in AEW. So we should be getting some some interesting matchups. Like next week, FTR are going to have to face each other. Yeah, Team Baldo over here. Yeah, yeah. You have a you you've picked your side. Bald FTR is my dude. He's your dude, huh? That dude can wrestle. Yeah, um, I you know I would my I feel like he's probably the choice in the match but like i'm sort of interested to see what the other guy has and i'm also interested to see how they play it yeah right? maybe I one mean, of them lays down they, for the other one like kevin nash yeah for, or like or, like, or are they gonna go really hard but just like one time you know i i am um, i think that'll be interesting but i do think that when you can whatever kind of tournament um that you're putting together when you can get new matchups, things that people haven't seen before, like that's how you get people um, excited and and that's how you get people interested. So, you know, both AEW, New Japan, like I'm excited to see what they come up with. Yeah, I'm excited now for this FTR matchup. That's going to be cool. I can't <laughs> wait for that one. 